this is the one with the green-eyed monster. The madman with a box without a box. Patchwork people. A bitey mad lady. And all waiting and no play makes Rory a dull boy. It's called The Doctor's Wife. Here, Here we go! We're still on our endless voyage. All through time and all through space. With Slavine and Angels now. Dalek, Cybers, Uden, wow! Tenant Smith and Eccleston. And Capaldi, he's the man. Doctor Who is cool again. That was Russell's master plan. Who back when? Reviewing all new Who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Rose and Donna, Amy Pond, Rory, Martha and beyond. Join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be but who back when? Ladies and gentlemen, patchwork people, ood, sentient asteroids, welcome to another episode of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Bars. Except not because we're in a temporal rift and tenses are difficult. Ooh. Ooh. (laughs) I'm joined by two of your favourite co-hosts in the studio tonight. (laughs) To my left is the magnificent... Marie! Hello, Marie. Hey. And over there is... Sorry. Uh, Do I not get an adjective? A superlative beginning with P. The precocious? Oh, pumpkin. Uh, Leon. Hello. (laughs) I'm rebranding. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The lovely Leon. Oh, thank you. Despite the surfeit of names, there are three of us here tonight to review N078, The Doctor's Wife. Indeed. Which at least Trent and Bless has been waiting for for a very long time. Yes, yes. And spoilers, he's got a mini. <gasps> yeah. Nice. But we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an episode fans have been anticipating. What about you guys? I've been anticipating this. I've always remembered this as a strong episode. Yeah, same here. It's also one of those modern legends, mm. in a sense. It won awards. Uh, it was written by none other than Neil Gaiman himself. What awards did it win? Uh, it won a Hugo. It won a whole bunch of things, but it won a Hugo. And I remember this specifically. I think we mentioned this before it was cut out at the last episode, but it, <laughs> it beats an episode of Community to a Hugo award. Oh. So we have work to do tonight. Shall we jump into a strong award-winning B-scale? Oh my goodness, let's. <laughs> <laughs> Time for us to synopsize, clarify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bite-sized chunk of who. Bite-sized chunk of who? Responding to a Time Lord distress call in a psychic container, the Doctor, Amy, and Rory take the TARDIS through a cosmic crack to a plug hole junkyard just outside of the universe. Inhabiting the junkyard are Auntie, Uncle, Nephew, and Idris. A humanoid milk bottle into which the rich, creamy soul of the TARDIS is poured. <laughs> the junkyard itself is alive and feasting on gullible Time Lord heroes, but with none more left, it kidnaps the pawns and TARDISes away, leaving Doc and Idris behind with barely a few minutes until absolute zero hits. Be scout over, you are welcome! Aren't you just... Introductory questions! I assume you have one? Certainly. How about you guys? No? Yes? Alright. We pale in comparison. <laughs> Okay, jumping straight to the end. Is that... What? what? (laughs) (laughs) New tech? Yeah, sorry. Is that the TARDIS's ghost? Or is the light that we get to see, is that the TARDIS's soul? Oh, what? You mean the marmalade at the end? The suspiciously regeneration-like because it's in the, you know, 
Well, mainly I'm thinking of the like the weird. I'm really sort of just jump straight to the end, but I'm thinking well, of the, the beginning. Like, There's orange at the beginning. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Well, well, I'm thinking mainly of like the Kylie Minogue esque apparition at the at the very. Oh, ends. you mean the actual figure? Yeah, is that a ghost? Like, and why don't we ever get like? Why do we never get to see that or hear the TARDIS again? Couldn't he just fit a microphone, uh, a speaker, to the TARDIS? Eleven dimensions, dude. That thing's gonna make your ears never have existed or something it's gonna yeah, it's gonna threaten the very causality of your mm. ear holes he does actually bring it up in a in a weird sense but i think it's a bit of a cop-out because he says something like oh no it's sciency or it's timey-wimey or something to that effect spacey way spacey way well done yeah but surely this is the episode that shows that actually the tardis is constantly in torment because she just wants to talk Mm. And she wants to be a, you know, a, a figure, a Stop presence. Stop him bringing home strays. Exactly. Mm. That's really shitty. That is really <laughs> dreadful. But she realises that it's not actually all that much fun once she's actually inhabited a humanoid body. Does she really, though? Yeah, she's like, how do people live in these things? Ugh, these limitations. I feel so cramped. Oh, I don't know. Well, actually, no, she doesn't. She says it's bigger on the inside of the of the brain, but she knows that she can't be supported there. I suppose there's a tragedy in that. Mm. But she, her, you know, her disillusion has uh, been dispelled. I'm not so sure that she's disillusioned. I think she's just she's not used to it. She's she's literally in an unfamiliar body. She is she's she's not used to being f- physical. <laughs> That's why she struggles so much with the word that she's saying the whole way through. Born to be alive. Yeah, she finally... (laughs) It's such a sad word because to be alive means to die. And she does... It's good to be alive! (laughs) There we go. All right. Sorry. I I used all my brain power on disco. (laughs) Okay, jumping back to the beginning. House. (laughs) How do you feel about House? What, the TV show? It's great. Yeah, beyond... Being disappointed that it wasn't Hugh Laurie, I thought House was pretty good. Did you did you feel that there were any similarities between this and I can't remember? Oh, I can't remember what it was called. Amy's Choice. Do you remember the the foe in Amy's Choice? The sort of anti doctor, the Dream Lord. Yes, well mm. done. Does that seem a little similar? Well, apart from the voice was two octaves lower. <laughs> I mean, that really did make a big difference for me. I didn't I didn't connect it to the Dream Lord at all. No, but I suppose. It is a little similar. What you mean in terms of the spatial manipulation sort of business? Uh, and psychological manipulation. Where he's like torturing them in the tar- like Amy and Rory in the TARDIS. Yeah. And, like, playing it's with it's them. like the Dream Lord meets the Celestial Toymaker meets, I don't know, Mind Robber, also a classic serial. But like that kind of, oh, it's not just, an, it's not just a monster and it's not just a supercomputer. It's, it's this... It exists on a slightly higher psychological plane. It makes it slightly more interesting as a plot. Oh, it may, and much more interesting in terms of the possibilities that you can... I mean, there are still budgetary constraints because those sequences were quite short and I wanted more of them. But, yeah. Mm. But yes, uh, very enjoyable and quite similar, as you say. You mentioned the voice. Did you recognise the voice? Not until I looked him up at the uh, end. I had to look him up as well. <laughs> Marie, did you recognise the voice? Um, no, but Jim looked him up. Oh. <laughs> I kept thinking it was Michael Gambon. Oh, because Michael Sheen with a pitch shift apparently is Michael Gambon. <laughs> <laughs> who knew? Should we run through Michael Sheen's career hits, or does absolutely everyone know who Michael Sheen is? Oh yeah, Twilight. He's in, <laughs> he's, he, what? Is he in Twilight? Yeah, he's in one of the Twilights, or maybe oh. two of the Twilights. Oh good lord! Yeah, he's like the dude at the end. I only know him as Blair. 
Blair. Doesn't he play Tony Blair in the last? Oh, uh, and he's in Frost Nixon. He's yeah. he's Frost. I don't know what else. Oh wait, he's in the TV show about sex. Oh, Kinsey. That one. No, oh, Kinsey. Different one. The sexologists. I don't know. Fine, I'll look him up. Yeah, look him up. See what his name is. Oh, he's in Midnight in Paris, of course. He's in a ton of stuff. Come on, read out some stuff and then get to whatever. Masters of Sex. There Masters of Sex. That's what I was thinking of. Uh, Good Omens. He's in the he's in the Good Omens TV miniseries with David Tennant. Yeah. Yeah. Has that already been released? I'm not sure. That's going to be amazing. Barbados, you, you could never really know someone. Oh, what am I reading out this shit? <laughs> Seven days stuff everyone out. will know. Kill the messenger. Far from the maddening, uh, madding crowd. The Damned United. He's the been Twilight Saga, Breaking Dawn, parts one and two. Is it oh, two of them? That's not his fault that the film was split into two parts. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Henry Christ. Oh, yeah. He's in Tron Legacy. Mm. So he's actually... Quite a bit of transatlantic exposure for our yeah. you know, Welsh character Absolutely. actor. Absolutely. Or in Twilight Zone New Moon. Alice in Wonderland. He plays the White Rabbit. He has an impressively long IMDb page. Done theatre stuff as well. The Passion Plays. Oh, uh, yes. Oh, you don't say. Love you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> what about the TARDIS? What about Idris? You mean Suran Jones? Oh, it, tell us about her. Well, she has also popped up in the Sarah Jane Adventures. As the Mona Lisa. Oh, yeah. So basically, when you need an enigmatic woman for the Doctor Who universe, get Saran Jones. She's been in other things, telework, uh, Dr. Foster, Scott and Bailey, and she was with John Hannah in A Touch of Cloth. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic title. Which was Charlie Brooker's satire on A Touch of Frost. I haven't seen it, but oh. I would love to see it. Oh, I would like to see that as well. And she is great, great, great. Can I just say that now? She is. She is. Yeah. She's she's one of those people who's really just familiar, but I don't think I've seen anything that you've listed her as being in. Well, do you think she's familiar? Because I will relate an anecdote that Neil Gaiman wrote on his blog. Okay. Which was that he watched how the trends on Twitter after this episode aired. And Helena Bonham Carter trended on Twitter because that many people were arguing about whether she reminded them of Helena Bonham Carter or not. Oh. That her name trended and also Helena Bonham Carter's name. Oh. I see it now. Yeah, yeah, no, I can definitely see yeah, that. Yeah, she definitely has an air about her. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, question. We like the TARDIS inside this this person. I, I hesitate to say human, but like in, inside this humanoid individual. How do you like, what, how did you feel about the Doctor's rather blasé attitude to the soul having escaped from the TARDIS in the first place? Like, oh, we're in a soulless TARDIS. The soul is gone. Mm. Well, I think he's just a bit nonplussed, isn't he? He's like, oh, the temporal rift will bring it back. I, this happens every time he steps outside the universe. It happened in Rise of the Cybermen. He's learned, it? Yeah, the TARDIS just went cold, didn't it? Apart from that one little egg that he kept alive with 10 years of his oh, life energy or something. That. And so he shouldn't act so surprised. So I guess he he shouldn't... He, I, I, he sort of should be blasé, but shouldn't... I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like this is just... It, this is yet another... Like, almost a, a worse case of uh, what we saw in last week's episode or two mm. weeks ago. The whole, like, oh, shit, the, when they're on the pirate ship and the, the TARDIS just disappears, and he just goes, oh, I guess I lost my TARDIS. Yeah. All right, let's carry on with this adventure on this pirate ship where I'm now, you know, technically I'm stuck here forever, or I might be stuck here forever. Here, they're in the TARDIS, his trusty companion for centuries, and then all of a sudden, oh, 
the soul is gone and he just could not give a smaller shit. Yes, the TARDIS has lost its soul. Yeah. Oh, let's go out and see what's out there. Do, 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 do. No, dude. Mourn. Panic. You know? No? Well, yes, obviously he should, but I think the TARDIS has been imperiled that many times in that many different ways. He knows the best thing to do is just keep pushing forward and he'll find it, you know? Eventually he figures it out, always. Yeah, experience has has been his teacher. Yeah. You, you sit around and mourn, and if the TARDIS is out there and within reach, then you're losing valuable time you need to retrieve it. He could make this clearer. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like I want a line about that. I, <laughs> yeah. I, I would quite One like him to go like, okay. line. Yeah, just to say, all right, we can fix this. Let's do that. Mm. Let's let's see if maybe we can maybe we can find the soul out there. Maybe there's something. Oh wait, I need to build a wibbly wobbly machine that can summon the soul back. But I can't do it here. Let's go and see if we can do it elsewhere. I tell you what makes it strange <laughs> is that there is exactly half an explanation given. As in, the doctor says, right, we need to jettison the swimming pool and squash court seven and everything. And this is a really difficult maneuver for the TARDIS to pull off to get outside the universe. So you can understand that it's going to be very taxing on the TARDIS, but that still doesn't match up with the soul is completely gone. Yeah, it's it's entirely different. And also, yeah. imagine that you're one of these completely new viewers from the States. You're not aware of the fact that this TARDIS is alive. To you, it's just a time machine. It's a machine. So for, out of nowhere, this machine has a soul and also no longer has it. There's no expl- explanation given for it. There's no context. Whereas we get like the most ridiculous exposition for the rest of it. The rest of the, you know, previously on Doctor Who. Yeah, just a little bit of backstory for, for Rory's benefit. Yeah, for, yeah, he does this in every other episode. Why, why couldn't? <laughs> wait, do you mean for Rory's benefit? Yeah, c- wait, couldn't Rory go? What do you mean, soul? What are you talking about, Rory? This thing is alive. It was grown. It wasn't built. Yada yada yada. Yeah, I've been its friend for seven centuries. All exactly. I mean, last insta- week, um, Captain uh, Barbosa, Captain Barbosa slash Grantham slash Haddock, <laughs> he was saying this is a ship. This is exactly the same as my pirate ship, yeah. but more technologically advanced. And yeah. here, we're seeing the exact opposite. Why, actually, it's an entirely different being. Exactly. Yeah. Or entity. Yet we get this crazy... Okay, so, hang on, I'm jumping into my notes. I, I, I wrote down the super exposition at the very, very start, where they go like, oh, oh, are you thinking what I'm thinking? We saw him die 200 years in the future. Yada, yada, yada. This is what happened. Previously, on this show that you just started watching... You know, it fit something else in there. Make that was incredibly unnatural. So maybe at least make it relevant. <laughs> that is the classic series arc versus in episode relevance, isn't it? You can you, they're only servicing one at the expense of the other. Yeah, you're right. Where do you want to go from here? I think we should address the Neil Gaiman-sized elephant in the room. Okay, <laughs> let's do that. Because I did a bit of research on this. Oh, which is that Neil Gaiman spent about two years of his life trying to get this to the screen. What? Yeah. Why? He was a pal of Moffat during the RTD days. Okay. And one was reading the other's blog or something, and they started chatting, and then Moffat said, guess what, I'm taking over. And Neil Gaiman was like, please let me write an episode for you. <laughs> and so this would have been happening during, like, the specials time. So Gaiman starts writing this episode. Oh, my goodness. Um, before Matt Smith's even auditioned. So and he's taking, in, at least hypothetically, is writing this for Tennant. He's writing it with Tennant's voice speaking in his head on the script as the Doctor. Oh, this is That's all he's got to go on. And in fact, w- once he'd seen Matt Smith do a few episodes, he 
watched his performance and took out all the lines that were too tenanty and replaced them with smithier lines. Ooh. I heard that Moff uh, wrote a little bit for this one as well. Yes, because... And I'm not done with this tortured history of this oh, episode. Oh, no, no, sorry. This was originally going to be episode 11 of series five. Five. Can you remember which one that was? Oh. Uh, oh. No. Give us a hint. I'll give you a clue. Yeah. It was substituted for this episode because it had a far lower budget. Wait, remind, which wait what? <laughs> oh, wait, uh, The Lodger? The Lodger! The Lodger! Indeed. Because this was set outside of the universe in a massive junkyard with CGI and there's, there's TARDIS and there's effects and there's Ood and there's all sorts of stuff going on. He originally wanted this to be even more extravagant, by the way. With, a, with the swimming pool. With the swimming pool, I was going to say, because you, you brought up the line before of jettison the, the swimming pool. I'm, I'm assuming that's a little bit of a, an inside joke because there originally was a scene set in the swimming pool, mm. which got cut because Amy Pond can't swim. Oh, really? Or Karen yeah. Gillan can't swim. Oh. Yeah. Or couldn't swim at the time, anyway. Mm. Huh, I hope they, I wish you learned how to swim before Jumanji. Yeah, well, <laughs> presumably she did. This is IMDb trivia. If it's wrong, then I, I'm in no way responsible. I keep interrupting you. Carry on, Drew. There was also a scene set in the Zero Room, so I think there was going to be some Zero Gravity-esque <sighs> shenanigans. That would be or, awesome. Or involving levitation. Rory had to learn how to levitate or uh, something, and it was like, we can't She couldn't swim, and Rory couldn't it. levitate, so they had to cut both. <laughs> <laughs> So there, this this means two things. It meant that um, of all the people writing at that time, everyone in Series 5 had to write for Smith blind, but Gaiman actually got to see what he could do and actually shape the dialogue towards him. So that's why maybe this episode oh. is a little better than some mm. others around this era. And also it explains why The Lodger ties better into the silence of Series 6 than the rest of Series 5, which doesn't tie in at all because... It got shunted in later, and by then Moffat was already thinking further ahead, and that's why the ship, the set, that was all together. So when you said a few weeks ago, did he plan this? Yes, Yes, but later than the rest of it. And accidentally. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because Neil Gaiman's imagination is too ambitious. Oh, Okay, the next time I, I ask anyone got any introductory stuff to bring up, you lead, okay? Because oh, okay. that was awesome stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And one final thing. Yeah. Rory, at that point of Series 5, wasn't in it at all. And I like what they did and added in. But originally, it was just going to be Amy looking at an engagement ring, puzzled, quizzically, not knowing what it meant. And it was going to lead into the Big Bang and be this incredibly downbeat, depressing ending where the Doctor has basically no friends left and Amy doesn't have Rory and, and the universe is going to explode. So, so last two bits of trivia. This was going to be called Bigger on the Inside. Oh, until they realised, wait a minute, they're going to figure out that it's this woman is the TARDIS straight away. Although, it's not much of a secret, and no. Moffat leaked it ahead of time anyway. Not at all. Yeah. Wait, Moffat leaked it as well? Yeah, someone... Well, he probably also realised that it wasn't... Set, it's not built into the episode as a mystery. She st- the, the episode starts with her saying, well, I'm evacuating my soul, and then leads to the Doctor going, oh, the Doctor, the TARDIS's soul has gone somewhere, and this woman starts acting all weird. Well, Everyone knows. You yeah. also see Within the, like, a minute. regeneration energy going, like, coming into her... Oh, wait, and she opens her mouth, yeah. and it's like... Ooh, ooh. That's yeah. my TARDIS noise. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. It's not... It's, the, this it takes a while a for the doctor to work it out, but we as the audience yeah. know straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, I didn't say that trivia made any sense, but that was <laughs> that was what happened. That was the actual sequence of events. 
And also, apparently in earlier drafts, Neil Gaiman made it very clear that House survived and it's just <gasps> a disembodied sort of great intelligence it was, threat floating around the universe. It was, in fact, originally meant to be the great intelligence in one of the early drafts. It was the in- great intelligence. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was my very last note. Boop. Interesting. Um, yeah, but but also uh, I read on IMDb that Neil Gaiman, one of Neil Gaiman's early drafts, possibly the first draft, had us see what this sea urchin looked like. It wasn't just like this weird green smoke. It was a like a a giant physical entity. Was it a space whale? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and instead we we didn't get that, which leads me to well, it led me to make make a few other questions in my notes here, or add a, another couple of questions in my notes. Like, what is it? What kind of form does it take? Is it just an energy? Is it like a mind controlling smoke? We get to see this weird green smoke. Second episode in a row, by the way. Or is it an actual urchin? Is it, I mean, is it an animal? Is it a creature? Yeah, because the doctor says you're all soft and gooey in there. Exactly. But then it, it, I mean, it abandons its physical form entirely. And it becomes this weird energy that just inhabits the TARDIS. And at the end, we don't get to see what happens to it. No, we just hear... At all. We just hear, oh, no, ow! Yeah. I'm uncomfortable. Oh, dear. So what does she do with House? Does she just evacuate House into space and it dies? I suppose Gaiman leaves it entirely ambiguous. Or is that because you said that actually it was meant to survive and that's an ending that's sort of abruptly cut out of it? Well, maybe. I I mean, I don't think they make it certain that the TARDIS destroys, kills, annihilates this thing because then the Doctor is a genocidal maniac flying around inside a murder box. And it's not quite the, you know, kid-friendly tagline that you want. Yeah. She 100% murders I was gonna say, I, that creature. I took it to be that he died. Oh, yeah. I expect yeah. she just archived him somewhere. Like, clearly, <laughs> it hurts. Like, she is not, no. The, yeah. <laughs> she's just as big of a bastard as the Doctor is. <laughs> Actually, that's true. They, they do play up how similar they are, don't mm. they? And how they're yeah. compatible. <laughs> Synergy. <laughs> I stole you. No, you stole me. I wanted to see the universe. No, I wanted to see the universe. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, Segway. Second week in a row where the TARDIS is shrouded in fluorescent green smoke. Yes. Also second week in a row where the TARDIS is lost. Mm. Also second week in a row where there's a reference. To, well, they say, okay, so the Time Lord that they're looking for is the Corsair. Last week it was Pirates. Corsair is a pirate, right? I think so. I think so, right? Yeah. So, well, actually, I suppose you That's not all. It's not all? What else? This is also the second week in a row where the Doctor says, Ah, I've got this really simplistic explanation for you. Yes, But it's nothing like that. It's not true, but if it helps, then let's go with that. Yeah, Yeah, you're you're right. And I hated it last week, and I hated this week too. (laughs) Oh, I really liked it last week. Now I'm thinking it's no longer so original. (laughs) (laughs) Even though it was written for a season ago. It's actually last week's episode was even shitter. So basically, Moffat sees... The opportunity to steal all Gaiman's best lines from the draft he's seen. Oh, you're right. So that's exactly just, what's happened. Just, I'm going to try to <laughs> pump up this shitty pirate script with some of my pal Neil's great lines. Yeah. Oops. <laughs> now for me to get ahead of that one. <laughs> oh, no, but it was actually Steve. <laughs> Wink. Okay. So the point you're making with all these similarities is? Uh, no point. Just observations. Just, I, I guess that 
your introductory tri- trivia kind of nullifies any potential point that I might be making with this. But in my mind, I was thinking, this feels really lazy. We just had this stuff. But your introductory trivia pointed out very clearly that this is not where it's me- it was originally meant to be. It was originally meant to be way ahead of last week's episode. So eh, it's not lazy, but it feels lazy. I don't know. It's certainly limited within the infinite possibility of the Doctor Who universe. Say other things. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. But but then, is it just... If they had taken this episode and just transplanted it into a different part of the season, would it feel more original? If we had got this as not a season finale, obviously, but like let's say as a penultimate episode of the season, would it have felt more original? Marie, what do you think? I think it's about time we heard from Marie. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Because again, yeah, there was a lot of things I picked up on. I was like, oh, they literally just did that. And I don't, I don't think you you would remember the pirate episode that well if it was if this was like five episodes down the line, right? Yeah, you kind of forget the pirate episode by then. <laughs> yeah, totally. agreed. Yeah, and maybe they those lines they don't become like reminiscent. They turn into more of like character traits in a way. Like, oh, that's that sounds like the kind of thing yeah, the doctor might done say that before. But yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. the same lazy, predictable line the doc always trots out. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that fits. That's consistent. <laughs> no. Let's let's be you know let's stand up for truth here. Let's not say how it seems. It is lazy just because there's a gap in between doesn't mean it can but it, be better. But, but this is not a, a mark of of lazy writing because this was written well in advance. Yeah, way earlier than the pirate episode. It's, it's the lazy. pirate episode that's lazy. It's lazy editing because they should have. When you get your yeah, order right. <laughs> and you go. And you put them back to back. You, somebody should have gone. Oh shit! Oh shit! We've stolen this already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's let's re, like swap some lines around Sorry. and like. Yeah, let's take out all the repetitive bits and put in the exposition that actually explains why the doctor isn't bothered. Mm. Yeah, because we have that footage as well because we were sensible and filmed everything we might need in advance. Because <laughs> you know we've been doing this show now for six, seven years, and before that for forty more. So. We've learned one or two lessons by this point, haven't haven't we? Anyone? I guess we have. I guess they have. They must have. They will. They do. <laughs> Trouble with tenses. <laughs> next point. Next point. I like the um, how the TARDIS Idris Idra. What's the name? Idris. 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 Flat out Idris, as in Elba. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Same spelling and everything. Nice. Also close to TARDIS. Idris. TARDIS. Oh yes, yeah. I suppose. Right. Yeah, I liked. Uh, I did really like her portrayal of the TARDIS and the confusion about time and the uh, the little premonitions that she just slipped in that then were all worked into this episode. Because I think I like so, quite often they do that and it doesn't. You don't get the payoff until a few episodes down the line, and you're supposed to kind of hark back to it, and then you yeah. do have to have the little exposition to remind you in case you missed it. So it was nice that it was all wrapped up in this episode. Um, yeah, my question was about Idris. Idris. Uh-huh. Idris. Um, in the, in the beginning because the auntie and uncle are these like cobbled together people that uh, don't I guess she is as well yeah she is but absolutely she, she's not she's a full person she very full in any, places well she doesn't have any extra very full in places like, oh <laughs> <laughs> nice in case you couldn't figure out podcast land I looked down at my own heaving bosom <laughs> and Leon got it straight away <laughs> subtle as it was 
<laughs> yeah, you barely noticed her. <laughs> you left so much to the imagination. But is she, she's effectively like willingly going to her death. Yeah, but but so uh, auntie and uncle later on, right? They're like, oh, I guess it's time to die now. Ooh, and then they mm. die. It's very. Mu- there are there are bits of this episode that really really remind me of the Celestial Toymaker because they're also they're all these like the the Celestial Toymaker who's this very house like madman who's mm. super powerful and he's also kidnapped people and is just playing with them changing their identities and stuff and they're willing to go to their deaths they're willing to do whatever you know all kinds of shit whatever he tells them to this felt very much like that she is as devoid of character as the others it's just that they really clarify from the get-go we're going to remove your soul mm. i don't know whose soul she had before some other time lord's companion right but wouldn't that soul be fighting to stay? I don't know. No. Allow me to enlighten you with some more Neil Gaiman trivia. Oh, oh. let's hear it. Originally, there was a lot more about Idris at the beginning of the episode mm. oh. and who she was, and House will just steal a person, and in and into a succession of vessels, you'll get a t- TARDIS downloaded, and they'll die in a few minutes. And that this TARDIS survived for so long was exceptional, apparently. All right. But it made it more complicated and longer, and the scenes didn't really work, and, and the script didn't really come alive until the TARDIS was in her, so they would just, like, junk the whole beginning and just get straight to the point. Mm. It's so good that they didn't have other TARDISes get downloaded and die right away. I mean, there's no surprise in the TARDIS being inside Idris in this one, but it seems new and fresh and like, you know, it's not a plot twist, but it's like, oh, this is, this hasn't happened before. Mm. If it constantly happens. Which it does. And they do explain it, but you have to imagine backwards. Mm. Otherwise, how do you have a TARDIS graveyard? Well, um, oh yeah, that's true. Yeah. Wait, there's a line towards the end of the episode, isn't there? When the doctor's just, I guess, stalling for time, waiting for Idris to properly die so that the TARDIS soul can escape the body. Yeah. When he says, like, oh, this is what you do. You put the TARDIS inside a body so that it can die without destroying the entire universe or something like that. So actually, they they did keep that. That does happen. Yeah, but just not in the order that yeah, they originally... Don't sh- that, that would make it don't show more it. explicable. Yeah, it's true. Oh, shit, I hadn't thought about that. Mm. Yeah, Maybe okay. think about this episode. It's a thinker. It's a thinker. <laughs> okay, can I ask about the TARDISes, the other TARDISes? Yeah. We get to see the TARDIS graveyard, and the, t- the TARDIS, Idris, the TARDIS that we, we hang out with in this episode, she says, all of my sisters, are all the TARDISes female? Hmm. And I, yeah, I picked up on that, and I didn't know whether it was because like she's been put into a female body, because I imagine your TARDIS is sort of gender neutral. But she seems almost a little... I mean, it would have been very easy for her to say siblings. Yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. Incredible. But she doesn't all, all have of my friends. But she's all of, used, of my kin. All of my kin. There you go. Done. But she's used like she's struggling with words. She's not used to language. Like she doesn't know how to. She takes a whole episode to find the word alive. Like maybe that's. Uh, yeah, but you can manipulate those constraints to your own devices, can't you? Mm. I mean, they do yeah. in this episode. But exactly. so, are you thinking? Okay, this is that. That's not a rule. That's just coincidence in this episode. Yeah, I took it to be that okay. it's just... Well, because otherwise... I don't know, they're kind of playing on the whole the, the Doctor's wife thing and she's the kind of female, his, like, partner. Um, that he, you know, but what happens when... 
the doctor then becomes a woman, as we know he's about to. Yeah. Well, the TARDIS doesn't fancy it and spits her right out. (laughs) (laughs) But like, just, but making the... If that it, happened within 10 seconds. Brilliant. Oh, no, I'm going oh, through yeah. space. Oh, I forgot about that. And then the Todders explodes. No? Something. Oh, shit. No, I yeah. think it just fucks off. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No. Huh? I feel like the inside, the Todders interior explodes. Oh, shit. This is an entirely different episode. Isn't that tenant regenerating? No, I'm thinking of Capaldi regenerating. Is, isn't she thrown out of the Todders because the Todders explodes, as in, like, the force of the explosion throws her out the door? Now the TARDIS, the TARDIS is is it's like it's vomiting, it's it's retching, it's heaving, it is shaking her oh, really? out. Yes. Oh, okay, I'm looking forward to getting to that episode. <laughs> <laughs> Where were we? Oh yeah, TARDIS is TARDIS is yes, and their genders or not? Yeah. So if a time lord can um, gender can be in flux, then why as can't the corsairs, the TARDISes, yeah. yeah, or herself a couple of times. That is Neil Gaiman introducing this bit of canon. This bit of uh, Time Lord lore. This is before Missy. Yeah. yeah. Way before Way Missy. Before. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, that's really nice. Yeah. Okay, okay, hang on. Wait, still about the TARDIS and the, the fact that the TARDIS is a woman and the fact that the TARDIS is... Sexy? Well, actually, yeah. Uh, the, the, the fact that he refers to her as sexy... She is the only one of the, the, the beings on house on this planet who isn't Frankenstein's. Mm. Like the her auntie has someone else's hand. Uncle has one ear and two left feet and whatever. The Ood is also somehow patchworky. I can't remember how, but whatever. But, but she is not. Mm. She's all like just sexified and uh, bosoms etc yada 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 like yeah. and, and is have... referred to as sexy on numerous occasions it wouldn't have taken much modification to make her a sexy bride of frankenstein also tr- also true but <laughs> is it just me or is there a little bit of object like <laughs> I feel like the TARDIS was objectified in a way here, like yeah. sexually objectified in a se- in a way that isn't entirely like I felt this whilst watching the episode. Like, what did you I, feel whilst you were watching the episode? Then, like, is this is this okay? Like, what is is that? Should I be doing this? Should I draw the curtains? Well, no, I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> <laughs> Just meaning, I feel like it's taking away a little bit from the who the TARDIS is. If the TARDIS is a person then the TARDIS is this incredibly loyal and clever companion like the real companion of the doctors right yeah and and instead it's turned into this hot box yeah <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> uh, who then on top of which she is I mean the episode is called the doctor's wife mm. if she is the companion in that regard if she is the doctor's wife but they can't really have any kind of intellectual social romantic connection they travel together and they have sort of a soul bond, but they don't have the relationship relationship. Inside her are all these other companions that flirt and kiss and mm. yada, yada, yada. Imagine like Rose was in the TARDIS. That's the same TARDIS that the, the tenant fell in love with Rose in. And yeah. Well, I mean, didn't the TARDIS dislike Rose for a considerable length of time? Oh, yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. The TARDIS has yeah. been, you know, low level jealous. Yeah, that's true. Multiple companions, Yeah, but this doesn't then change going forward necessarily. And we know that that the Doctor is going to get married very soon. And Mm. and I don't don't know. In in general, I just felt like the objectifying of the TARDIS was done... I understand there's some humorous effect, but I feel like 
almost it wasn't entirely done right. Like it wasn't, it didn't do it justice, you know? Yeah. Like this is someone for whom our respect should be, you know, unimpeachable sort of thing. Yeah. This this is, who's the, um, uh, Denise Richards in James Bond, whatever. Christmas Jones. Christmas Jones. That name sprang to mind quickly. <laughs> <laughs> I think about her about once a year. <laughs> it's 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 that element of like, wait, hang on, you have this really strong female character, she's a super genius, she's a nuclear physicist or something, but actually you just cast someone who is then dressed and acts, etc., everything, just to be a pair of implants in front of James Bond. We forget complete everything about her scientific background. We forget everything that is actually worth knowing about this character and all we focus on are like one-liners about her tits. Yeah, and James and, Bond fucking Lara Croft. Uh, yeah. And and here we have the TARDIS who is this incredibly magnificent being. We ter- it turns out who has a personality and instead we get oh you're sexy, you're pretty. I I, I want to touch you. Yada yada. Oh you're wearing a corset. Yada yada. Fuck! Like it, it would almost be more interesting if if it were the oud, you know, mm. and it communicates. It can only communicate through words, and it's we get to know her a little bit better. Yeah, maybe I'm overdoing it. I don't know if I'm overdoing it. Like they, I, I felt, yeah, fuck it. You know where I'm going with this. Podcastland's gonna think that I'm mansplaining this in front, like just keep <laughs> shutting you up all the time. So <laughs> please shut me up. But I also think that she did. She did do a wonderful job, John Jones, and uh, um. So I was trying to think, like, would it be the same if if the TARDIS had gone into the body of Auntie instead? Yeah. Would he still be calling a sexy? Would they still be having that, like, flirtation? Um, probably not. But, you know, I don't know. But that would be more of a service to actually separate sex from physical characteristics. Yeah. You can be attracted to someone's soul and someone's mind. I mean, I know that sort of doesn't gel with the actual meaning of the word sexy so i can see how that that contradicts itself but that happens right you can find a mind sexy you can be uh, of attracted course can. of course you can yeah. the thing, i mean she did a fantastic job mm. don't get me wrong she was an amazing amazing casting choice for mm. this and she she was great and she was so crazy and i absolutely believe that this was like the first time that she was inside a human body yeah. or humanoid body yeah. but it, it, it's just the way she was dressed uh, and and so much of the emphasis was on like a physical attraction and mm. then kissing and biting etc cetera, etc cetera. like there's there's you know even that whole introduction is all just kiss and bite and like just but i think from, physical um, attraction from like her point of view she's seen the doctor bring in like woman after woman after woman and kiss a few of them Quite a lot of them. And yeah, and we've only how... seen the PG-13 yeah. adventures. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so, like... She's... Oh, no, I've seen a couple of the X-rated ones as well. <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> that's no example to set to a TARDIS. <laughs> but yeah, so, it's, so I can understand from, like, that she's now taking a physical form and she's like, oh, this is what the Doctor does with, like, women that he loves. Actually, that's a very good point. This yeah. is what I'm going to do with him. Um... But she doesn't really know how to, and that's why she ends up biting him and whatever. I did like the line, it's like kissing but winning. Yeah, no. Great line. So yeah, the doctor himself is dragging her down. So, well, you, you know. <laughs> you 
no. <laughs> you know, that's why I'm having to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> because that's how she ends up acting instantly. She's like, this is what's done with a body. Yeah. Because the doctor has provided such an awful example. Yeah. I really liked the scene where they have sort of every kind of relationship in about 30 seconds, which is when they're having an argument and he's building the TARDIS. And in the space of about eight lines, she is his mother and he's a child, but not his mother. She's his lover. And they're like a married couple and they're friends and they're soulmates and they are everything, every single kind of relation to each other in that one thing and i thought that bit was really good rather mm. than just you know what you're quite attractive in that weird patchwork shell you've been <laughs> zapped into <laughs> randomly yeah yeah i do and i do think that they do show um more of the relationship it's not just it's there's a there's a lot of puns and there's like oh she's sexy and she you know she's in a sexy body but um they show more of that and i remember the first time i watched this kind of seeing next week's episode called the doctor's wife and being incredibly excited and thinking oh my god we're gonna get him to see marry river we'll see the wedding like this uh, is yeah. where it's going um and then actually being really pleasantly surprised that it wasn't that and uh, like the tardis is kind of his lifelong companion river will kind of come and go as we've seen but the tardis is there forever and yeah oh i don't know yeah, time and lord relationships are complicated yes yeah. absolutely yeah and that's the sort of thing that, that should be a Time Lord relationship. I mean, that, that, they hint at that, or they, they go part of the way towards that with Doctor and Missy. Yeah. Especially, mm. they, they're like, this is far above what you humans can comprehend. Yeah. We are, this is multidimensional. There's love, there's hate, there's thousands of years worth of complexity. And here. bigamy is a given. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, bigamy is just the start. Yeah. <laughs> and you get some of that with, with, the, with the TARDIS. Yeah. Like, it should be a, a pan-dimensional just brain melt mm. of what's going on between two entities. Mm. Yeah, true. Yeah. I, I like the I, fact, you guys are winning me over. I like the fact that he doesn't <laughs> even fully understand her. Like, he's supposed to be a Time Lord, and she goes, oh, I've archived 33 consoles. Um, and he's like, oh, I've only done 12. How can you have them? And, and, like, no, it's the TARDIS. She knows the future. Like, she can do everything. Yeah, She's true. fantastic. And the version we get of her is so limited in this human body that you can't even understand how much she knows and... Well, there's a question. Oh. After we've had 34 different TARDIS consoles, is that it? Does he have to get a new one? Oh. And we had the same Coral TARDIS for 9 and 10, so it's not necessarily 34 Doctors. Mm. They could also just start recycling. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. they could. Just Did- I liked that the, um, the old um, TARDIS Yeah, me too. Yeah, it was nice. not the one that I was expecting. Do, were you expecting? I mean, it was very clear that they were going to an older, uh, like one that we've seen yeah. before. Which one did you think we were going to see? Did you think Coral? I don't know. I don't think I had a... I assumed it was going to be either Hartnell or Troughton, because yeah. the go-to seems to be, oh, let's recreate the old one that yeah. we sort of know. Yeah. Yeah, I think probably, yeah. So it was quite pleasantly like, surprised, actually. The first actually. one, yeah. That was driven up the budget even further. Even further, yeah. <laughs> no, they were like, oh, look, guys, we've got the old set. Yeah, yeah, Shall we just yeah. go film over there? <laughs> that was a nice one. I love all, all the scenes um, in the TARDIS with Amy and Rory were fantastic. I really loved that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it really made me think of, um, there's an episode coming up, I can't remember what series it's in, but the kind of the opposite happens and Amy gets really old. Oh, yeah. The girl who waited. 
Was it? Yeah. I think it might be that one. Yeah. Well, that's good because it would be nice to see the tables turn just once. We've said recently, it's always Rory. It's Rory always died Rory. again. I know. He has to suffer. <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy never catches a break and this one he has to wait even longer. But, but finally he gets to speak his mind. Yeah. He finally says what he actually feels. Except yeah. it's not him. Oh, no, you're, no, you're it's right. No, it's not. Yeah. It's, it's maybe Amy's nightmare version of if she pushed Rory just that little bit further. Yeah. Just that little bit further than she's certain oh. she can get away with. Yeah, true. Mm. Oh. Because I was thinking, if, if Amy had been stopped, stuck the other side of the door, she, she just stood there stamping her foot and sulking for <laughs> 60, 70 years. <laughs> well, it wouldn't Where even, have you been? It would, well, it wouldn't even go that far. It would be like, oh, you've made me wait an hour. <laughs> Done. Murder. Start writing Rory must die on the wall. <laughs> oh, there wasn't nearly enough kill Amy, hate Amy shit all over that wall. That would have been a stinking tunnel mm. of feces. <laughs> oh. <laughs> just dawned on me as well. Yeah. <laughs> but they were so crap at like keep, the first time that happens you are like oh shit i've lost rory it's been hours maybe i'll hold his hand the next time we run through a door exactly oh like- my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah miriam was going on as well so just run beside each other yeah just stand next to each other <laughs> there's enough room and, it and then the tables are turned and amy's like i can't see i can't see anything i'm completely blind and he's like oh I'll just I'll just run on ahead then, shall I, and just scope that it out. That makes perfect yeah. sense. You wait, you wait where you are. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. That seems like a good plan. <laughs> Probably the sound of my voice. <laughs> it will assuredly only be me. <laughs> I mean, they could have done something more there instead of Rory just being crap. Mm. They could have shown like the floor being made sticky for him where it isn't for Amy yeah. or, or being like on a conveyor belt and he's running in place. He's trying to get to her and he can't. Yeah, yeah there's Is some sort the- of obstacle that House is, is putting in his environment that yeah. makes it impossible for him to keep up with her but no it's just Rory being rubbish and not thinking and it's oh you mean the fact that he's always stuck on the other side of the door is yeah that and it's the right? exact same footage it happens both yeah, times yeah it does it's exactly the same the same shot it the really, same oh it can't have been that expensive to film that twice surely <laughs> <laughs> it's just a door and also, he'd, he'd, if he'd said, oh, I'm such an idiot. <laughs> Can't believe this has happened again. <laughs> Instead, it's like, the unthinkable has happened again. <laughs> I, I have to confess, I really liked that part of the episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I feel like that was the strong, the strongest part of the episode, possibly. I really like that they kind of, um, they kept cutting between Amy and Rory having the worst day of their lives and then Doc and TARDIS just like <laughs> happily building a new TARDIS. <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, like, I mean, for Amy and Rory, it's like it, it, the 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 what's the house is playing with time in a sense. Yeah. Like, so years and years have yeah, passed, decades yeah. have passed, or whatever. But for Doc and uh, Idris or Tardis, it's, like it's been like, yeah, it's like, yeah. well, we only have 18 minutes to live. Yeah. But they have a really rich, fulfilling life in yeah. those 18 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> also really like, speaking of the Tardis, I really like the line, she's a woman and the Tardis. Did you wish really, really hard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like that line. <laughs> oh, also, he refers to her as old girl mm. on a few times, uh, a few occasions, yeah. which feels very classic who. Yeah. That feels very Pertwee, possibly. Tom Bakery as well so yeah. oh yeah, as the old girl because it's a ship like yeah. it's yeah oh, I like that that really mm. struck oh, that's a chord. true you, you do refer to ship as she don't you yeah, yeah you do is that why TARDISes are women I am sure Pert we referred to the TARDIS as the old girl mm. yeah yeah I think Troughton may have done as well yeah but you say when you launch a ship 
God bless this ship and all who sail in her. Yeah, exactly. That's, 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 exactly what you how, you say it. that's yeah. how you say it. <laughs> I also got a flash of Neverwhere when oh. they were in the corridor. I mean, you've seen the cheapo BBC version of Neverwhere, right? That's the only version I've seen, I think. Yeah, I th- uh, maybe maybe it was a radio version they did, or maybe it was Sky, in which case, who cares? But w- <laughs> where, you know, there's supposed to be this unthinkable chasm beneath them, like very near the end of the book, and they're just inching around a blackened set. Yeah, and we and never filmed the feeds. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's just like, oh, no, 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 what am I going to do? And that's exactly the manoeuvre they did here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's Neil Gaiman on set going, oh, guys, I know a thing. Yeah. <laughs> I know a really cool TV yeah. trick. You need to save some money? I got this. <laughs> You'll do it. <laughs> okay, question. I feel like this might have, this probably should have been my introductory question. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, why didn't the house just leave on the first ever TARDIS that arrived there? There's no food where, where house was before, except for the food that it lured in. So why not just take the first of a TARDIS, go to where there's lots of food, and where there's more shit to do than just play around with these three Because you can only pick people. off Time Lords one by one. If you go barging into the universe and the Time Lord sends out a genuine distress signal, all his pals, or her pals, are going to rock up with their multiple TARDISes and just zap the shit out of House No More House. But it seems like House has greater ambitions than this. House is not just that one deep-sea creature that lives its entire life under a rock and only eats what happens to go close by and never goes anywhere else. I think he, I think he is. At he's, the end, it's like, oh, there's a whole universe to explore. Well, exactly I can go that. anywhere. I can do anything I like. He's an ambush predator until he's under no threat from his prey ganging up on him. And well, then, until he gets told that there's no prey left. It's like, this is, I'm the last one that you send out in more distress signals, no one else is coming. Well, yeah, so he has too. to think of plan B. Huh. Yeah. This is now his survival strategy. Okay. To me, it makes perfect sense. I shall continue my and hunt also, for the perfect introductory question. Every um, <laughs> every other TARDIS until now has... Um, Apart from the Master's TARDIS, I assume. Oh. Oh. No, the TARDIS is that he has eaten have disintegrated within minutes, so he never had that option. It's only the our TARDIS that has lasted long enough for him to be able to do that, according to Drew's introductory. I don't know if it's the TARDIS, the actual physical box itself that disintegrates uh, so much as the matrix energy the tardis itself mm. that disintegrates and then and then he chows down on the artron stuff i think he, he's always had the option to not eat that and mm. go elsewhere okay. that's how i understand it what, what about the tardis graveyards well, i think yeah why, in your garden why are they all broken up exactly why hasn't like they haven't been digested. No. There are enough bits and pieces in there to build a fully functioning TARDIS. The only thing that's missing, in fact, is the soul, which is what she mm. like adds to it. It really feels to me like <laughs> this dude could have taken a number of TARDISes and just flown around. Also, yeah. there's a there's a this junkyard where there's a whole lot of really dangerous tech, yeah. like crazy dangerous tech. It's a good thing it's outside the universe, then, isn't it? I guess so, but there's just like a a crack between us and it. Also trivia, yeah. that crack was meant to be the crack. It was meant to be that crack. In possibly not Neil Gaiman's original draft, but in a draft, it was the crack. And in fact, when we watched it, we watched it just last night. Uh, Miriam actually thought that it looked like the crack. I'm I'm not sure. I haven't gone back to look at it. It doesn't quite. Okay. Because I, I was I was very suspicious, and so I went back for a look at it. Oh, really? But it's it hasn't got that signature shape. It's not like the weird smile. 
No. Okay. But in, in an earlier draft, it was the same crack. Probably because they were... Like, well, as you so said, well, well, Everything it was, was meant to be there. We're not going to pop it somewhere five. else. Yeah, you're, you're right. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like the crack that had no meaning, so it meant everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we don't have Return of the Crack or the Patch Mm-mm. in this episode. We've <laughs> got yeah. nothing to sing. Patch. You've got a patchwork arm. Oh, yeah, yeah patchwork but like, people. That's different. Like the... Eye Patch Lady. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She didn't. She didn't but we get to that. see Eye Patch Lady in next, next time mm-hmm. on Doctor no, Who. It doesn't count. It doesn't count. <laughs> she would have fit right in this episode. Yeah, she would have. Mm. But it's outside the universe. True. Yeah. I don't think that matters. But well, it's it also doesn't re- matter if you say it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really knobbly uh, junkyard. There are no flat surfaces for. Mm. I thought the junkyard looked really great. Yeah, it, it looked did. fantastic. Yeah, really great. It looked really, really good. It's like. Tim Burton's wet dream. <laughs> a little bit, right? Slimy. D- no. If I were Tim Burton, that's the happy place I would go to in my mind to just have fantasies. Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> is anyone else wonder what the fascination with Petrico is? Petrico, Petrico, Petrico. What? Uh, what is Petrico? It is exactly what they define it. Dust after rain. Oh, that's what it was. Okay, sorry. The stench of wet ground. Yeah, they don't give a. They don't contextualize it, do they? Yeah, it's the code. Yeah, but they. It's not like oh, it's part of the code because. No, but why is crimson? Why is eleven? It could be just random. No, you're right. But eleven could be eleven. Eleven, which doctor? This is the eleventh doctor. This is the eleventh doctor. See that that it shouldn't be eleven. It should be whatever. Um, oh, tenant. Yeah. Oh, you're right. You're right. For the console. Hmm. Hmm, that's right. Well, hang on. Oh, Cause, here we go. Because tenant should be a does, thirty-four or something. Tenant is eleven, isn't he? I mean, oh, because uh, there are two tenants. Yeah. Uh, I think there's ten A and ten B. <laughs> what about John Hurt then? Ooh. War, not yeah, numerical. Not really in there. Yeah. You should have read the shit that I received when uh, John Hurt was numerically added to whobackone.com. Really? Crumbs. It was not a fucking number. <laughs> <laughs> Fine, I'm going to name it and change this. <laughs> Sorry. How do you feel about the TARDIS talking to Rory telepathically as the pretty, the pretty one? one? I really liked that. Yeah. It was nice. Yeah, I could see it coming. But it was oh. just nice. But fun. It was yeah. fun. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Well, it's also, it's nice that Rory got a role. He was like, I know the way, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to get us to safety, rather yeah. than it always, like, him relying on Amy. Oh, absolutely. If if he'd been following behind Amy, he would have... He'd have just get trapped behind every door that come in. Yeah, and he'd have fallen straight off that ladder into the bottomless yeah. pit. Oh, man. Thank goodness. <laughs> we get to, we get yet another Rory doesn't quite die scene. Yeah. Well, we saw... Rory's like charred remains. Yeah, his but, mummified remains. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, like, like eventually there was no more shit left to smear on the walls. <laughs> How many times have lost? We, we should visit, revisit Tracy from America's review from last week. Mm. Because how many times, oh my, so many times that Amy has now cried over the, you know, She's the dead remains of, of her husband. To, uh, look sad. I would have stopped by now. It's like the boy who cried we dead. We know he's coming back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dead again. Yeah. Boy who cried no more. The boy who died, Wolf. <gasps> oh. It doesn't quite work, though. We can finesse that. Maybe we can put those two together. It's good. Okay. Yeah. 
Another line, I really don't know what to do. <laughs> That's a new feeling. Slaps himself. Oh, I love it when he slaps himself. <laughs> I really love it. That's so good. <laughs> do people like that line? Um, don't know. More the slap. Because I really didn't like the line. <laughs> I, yeah, I prefer the slap. Yeah. <laughs> Neil <laughs> Gaiman. Unexpected. Yeah. Neil Gaiman said that was his favourite pure doctor line that he wrote for that episode no. it because does feel very mad smithy i will say that mm. well neil gaiman's rationale was that he could imagine any doctor saying that whether that be troutson or pertwee or hartnell or or anyone he was like this gets to the very heart of what i think the doctor's like and his sense of humor but to me it just was well any doctor probably has said that yeah. and he could <laughs> say that and think that every week this line has no meaning yeah I feel like that because he said um, it happened quite a few times because the first stuff oh he got a did he was it when the box came and he said this is impossible and then when the I don't know he definitely said at some point this is impossible then the soul disappeared from the TARDIS and that was not possible and then the it was a new feeling and it's all these things that just can't possibly happen and it's like all right we get it this is like unusual for you but I feel like if you're the doctor you have to impossible is quite a strong word it's happened you've seen it so yeah that's true it is possible and And also he's said previously that leaving the universe is impossible yeah and we've just done that but yeah yeah. hella possible (laughs) quite easy actually you just (laughs) lose your pool yeah yeah is is that all it takes (laughs) we've never even seen him swim no no (laughs) he doesn't need a pool river river needs it oh i see yeah (laughs) the real housewives of tardis (laughs) The <laughs> in those classic serials that I mentioned earlier, the I guess Celestial Toy Maker, though I'm not entirely sure where that takes place exactly. It might just be on his planet or something. I can't mm. remember. But certainly, in th- there's another episode or another serial called The Mind Robber, which is utter shit, and also it takes place in like a world of fiction. And uh, so you have Rapunzel and you have, uh, I can't remember now, I think maybe the Musketeers. No, Cyr- Cyrano de Bergerac is there and Gulliver is there and so on. But, but, but yeah, anyway, so it takes place in this, it, outside of the universe in a different realm that is entirely inhabited by just fiction. And actually at the heart of it is this writer who has been kidnapped and is now running this world. But that's not in our universe. The Doctor was there. He had, like, four really shitty weeks with his companions <laughs> in that, that universe. Four weeks? Well, I mean, you know, four episodes um, worth. Because he does it in an afternoon now. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any, did, did it have to be set outside of our universe? No, not necessarily. Like why? Doesn't does it add anything to it? Actually, no, you're right. It mm. could just have been some planet. Yeah. Could have been whatever. Yeah. It could have been just a few meters southwest of where we were in last week's temporal rift that also was another universe it does another universe not a blob of our universe into which something drains it also seems a little weird like what that's a it's a good point it does not have to be outside this universe the only thing that allows it to escape is the tardis so it seems as though it should be separated by time not by space Mm. so maybe this planet should just exist so far in the future that nothing else exists. And yeah, the but then me would be there. there. Me would be there. The, the proto-Toclophane humans would be there. We've been to the end of the universe me so many be times. There. Me is just one person and would, uh, at a certain point, she would just Highlander and, and slow down, you know. She'd become an Ent. But the... <laughs> <laughs> or the face of me. The fa- or the yeah, face of exactly. me. Yeah, yeah, you're right. 
But it, exactly. So, like, just slows down, and it's not going to be everywhere in the universe. Those two can very happily coexist, and mm. the only the only people that this one creature can feed on are the people who have managed to manipulate time to exist in a world or in a time when nothing else exists. Mm. So, why exist in a space where nothing else exists? It's weird. And why add oxygen? And why add all these? Like, it. it oh, no, shit. Now I'm getting a little Ooh. bummed out by this. Well, if you're going to do it, don't half bake it and don't oh. half explain it. Actually, back it up. Yeah, exactly. Explain to us why it has to be right there and what is that crack and mm. why oh, Why couldn't you just go there or go from there with a regular spaceship? Mm. Why is it staying there? As in house. Why is house still there? How did house get there? How did house. Wait! Wait, what? <laughs> How did House... Did, did, was House born there? Are there more of of its kind? How did he uh, lure the first TARDIS? <laughs> <laughs> These are such excellent introductory questions. <laughs> Finally. <laughs> now again. <laughs> I mean, they could have perhaps tied it into... The Time Lords experimenting with when they were... With, like, pockets of time. Yeah, and inventing TARDIS technology. Ooh. This could have been explained as some sort of weird alien resurrection mutant proto-TARDIS gone wrong or something. Which is perfect, because then it's it, it, it's sort of enacting some sort of vengeance yeah. on the Time Lords mm. that created it. it. By creating all these Frankensteinian companion creatures, it in fact is the new Prometheus taking revenge on Dr. Frankenstein, mm. the Time Lords. Oh. And that gives it a proper motive rather than, I'm hungry! Oh. <laughs> Neil Gaiman, you call yourself a writer. <laughs> I'm only kidding, Neil, you're a god. Um. <laughs> Another thing Neil Gaiman didn't do. Oh. oh. oh dude, just Which was when Rory is saying about how torture is fun. I had a PE teacher like that. Oh, yeah. And then Michael Sheen just says, run. He doesn't say, run two laps around the TARDIS <laughs> and then three lengths of the swimming pool and try to get out without using your arms. <laughs> that's what my PE teacher did. Oh, wow. Yeah. How do you get out without using your arms? Like, seal flop onto the side. How it's difficult. How many of your classmates died, Lou? <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, the body's just clogged up the swimming pool and you can just walk out. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> R.I.P. Johnny Vaughan. Oh, well, R.I.P. Sorry, that got, uh, no, no. That got deep. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, yeah. Unlike the swimming pool full of dead bodies. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> so many levels. Non sequitur observation, not one of mine, but one of Miriam's, who pointed out that auntie and uncle are dressed exactly like Monsieur et Madame Thénardier from um, Les Miserables. Mm-hmm. She showed me a, like a Google image. I've never seen Lemmy's on screen or on stage or anything. But but uh, she showed me a Google image search. They are they seem to be dressed exactly like like them. Yeah, I recognise that now. Well done. That's good knowledge. Thank you, Miriam. Well yeah, done. thank you, Miriam. Yeah, yeah, I was quite impressed. And again, like just sort of picking holes in it. Okay. Is there any reason for Auntie and Uncle to be there other than just? Is it just purely for his entertainment? I think so. Uh, okay. Just like that. Fucking clowns Wouldn't in Celestial Wouldn't you keep more maker. of them? 
Maybe there are more of them, but they just slowly but surely kill each other, and that's why it's like, <laughs> oh, well, now there are just bits of that one and bits of this one. I'm going to combine the ones that are still whole and, mm. you know, still functional. Like that it, all if, works. But if they're not, um, it, must, it must have some sort of soft spot for them, because otherwise they'd die and he'd just keep his latest Time Lord until they regenerated. But he whatever. does just leave but them he keeps, there. But he... He just keeps chopping off bits and using bits and... But he does leave them there. When he leaves in the TARDIS, he brings the Ood. He yeah. brings Nephew. The Ood is hugely underused, by the way. Oh, yeah. You're right. Yeah. Not originally meant to be an Ood. Oh. Yeah, originally Neil Gaiman was envisioning a completely new creature, but the budget wouldn't allow for a new a creature. Nude. A nude. A <gasps> nude. <laughs> oh, I'd watch a nude. <laughs> More screen time <laughs> for the nude. But yeah, I think they just he just needs two lab assistants, two Igors to hold down at the third party who's who's going to be the sole receptacle. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's true. And that, he keeps the minimum number alive because of energy conservation. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What do they eat? Each other? Because he said, Hot. like, <laughs> eat while you're to the doctor. I'm sure there's a doctor oh, yeah. who told him. Gives us everything, gives us yeah. air and food and everything. Yeah. Yeah, but they are parroting his lies. Oh, that's yeah. true. So you don't have to believe a word they say. Oh, that's yeah. true. So. Yeah. I have a question. Let's hear it. When the TARDIS is, I think is when the ghost is fully evaporating and it's going back to normal, essentially, and the Doctor is tearful and everything, mm. and the music is swelling to its great crescendo, on the screen, on the Netflix subtitles, because I can read subtitles and pay for Netflix. I don't know if you know. <laughs> It said, Brag. I love you. The doctor says, oh, I don't know who says I love you. Really? I, I don't know which really? says I love you to the other. Oh, so did anyone I didn't hear that? I, I didn't hear that. No. I missed that entirely. Maybe they both said it. You should screen uh, shot it. Oh, don't uh, know do. I don't know how it was subtitles. I didn't watch it with subtitles. But, but uh, okay. Mm. Okay. All right. I, I'll see what I can do. Who do you think said it? Well, no, I'm not sure. <laughs> Good question. Maybe they both said it simultaneously. I think the TARDIS said it. Oh. I think the TARDIS said it and the Doctor doesn't read. I mean, he does, but he also wants to keep his, keep his options open. <laughs> <laughs> He's got a real wife waiting in the wings. He's got, yeah, and uh, by the you know transitive properties of time travel, a bunch of girlfriends yeah, and yeah. probably boyfriends to mm, come. Yeah. Like yeah. Mm. Also, there's that episode that JD kept hopping on about the fourth Doctor fellating an alien. Cannot wait what? to see that episode. <laughs> I can't remember what it was, but I remember very distinctly JD telling me there's an episode where the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker's Doctor, goes down, fellates an alien in order to distract it while <gasps> it does something. Oh, so it's not even the kiss of life, but it happens to breathe through its genitals. <laughs> no, no, it's like, I mean, I don't think it's said to... Well, I... I if I've seen this episode, then I was a kid and I didn't understand what was going on. <laughs> wow. But uh, I, I cannot, cannot wait to see it again. But, but uh, the way it was explained to me, sorry, a slight tangent, but the way that it was explained was basically it's like a giant blob, alien, whatever. Mm. So whatever Tom Baker wraps his juicy lips around is not necessarily dick-shaped, but it's like he's going to wrap his lips around something and it will pleasure this alien blob in order to distract it while he saves the day. Do you know what? I think I've seen a clip of this on Insert yeah? Name Here, which is a panel show 
so very random, but they were doing Tom's that week, and I think Tom Baker was look, look here he's filleting me. <laughs> I know what you're talking about. Cannot wait. Great. <laughs> you're in for a treat, my friend. Excellent. I hope it's really graphic. <laughs> I've only got one more note. I've got two. Let me get mine out of the way. Do it. What do you think of the Doctor as a mechanic underneath the TARDIS, patching it together? I thought Matt Smith looked pretty good. I, I really like that. I really like just, that too. Yeah. It kind of ties into one of my notes as well. It, uh, I, yeah, I think it's beautiful. Sorry, you were going to say. No, that's a... okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we, we've... It's sort of him taking care of the TARDIS in a way that she was taking care of him yeah. up until that point in the episode. And yeah, it's really nice. There's... It, it also makes you feel that this is what he does while the companions go to sleep. This is what he does. He just yeah, sort of this is his time. room. When yeah. Rory says, yeah, do you have a room? Is, yeah. Although that made me, I mean, his, the absence of a response, the fact that like, I mean, he doesn't have a room. Like yeah. the TARDIS is his, is yeah. his room. Yeah. Made me think of the devil's advocate. Have you seen the devil's advocate? Yeah. Yeah. So I've got on DVD. So do I. It's great. <laughs> There's that line where he, when Keanu Reeves first goes into Al Pacino's office and he's like, uh, so you know, there's no bed. Where does he sleep? Who says he sleeps? What does he fuck? Everywhere! <laughs> <laughs> so, that's what I thought of. <laughs> I see. So, Matt Smith, where's your room? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you think he um, will take more care of the TARDIS now that he knows? Like yeah, I think to so. Her. Do you think can actually bother to react when it's in existential peril? No. I wouldn't be surprised. I think yes. At least I'd like to think yes, but I wouldn't be surprised if a few episodes from now, the three of us are sitting around this table and we go, holy shit, like just three episodes ago, we learned that the TARDIS mm. is a living being with feelings, with thoughts, with a personality, and now he's just treating it as a car. Mm. If only that had been eight episodes ago, we'd think this episode was brilliant. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Character traits. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I liked um, right at the ending when he's like trying to talk to her and he's like, are you there? Um, and it's really, it's really quite sad because she doesn't respond. But then she does because she, the, uh, like the lever flips down on its own and it's like she is interacting with him in the way that yeah. she can. Um, she turns into Herbie the love bug. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness, yes. <laughs> she totally does. <laughs> Oh, sorry, I'm laughing at that now. That's all I can think of. (laughs) 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 I can't remember what it sounded like. Sorry, I interrupted you. (laughs) Yeah, I I thought that was incredibly sweet, but it is really sweet. It is really sweet. (laughs) They should have called this episode Idris Goes Bananas. (laughs) 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 Marie, any more notes? Oh, um... Now that you've got them out, you might as well use them. I don't have very many notes. Um, I just really... I don't know. Um, Oh, I like the... um, Going back to when they're, like, building the TARDIS and they're bickering. And um, he's going, well, you weren't a very good TARDIS. You never took me where I wanted to go. And she turns around and says, but I I took you where you needed to go. Mm. And we've said that so many times, that the TARDIS is crap and it fails. Yes, you're right. It's like, actually, this kind of little bit of just one line, but it explains every time where he's ended up somewhere nonsensical. It's like, ah, it wasn't an accident. It was just her kind of nudging him in the right direction. A hundred percent right. It's really nice. Instead of rocking up to see Elvis... 
He's in London next yeah. to Magpie Electronics. Yeah. Exactly. Because he <laughs> needed to be there. Exactly. That's why they never got to Rio. They need me dress for Rio. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Um, I also really like the line at the end about the bunk beds. <gasps> Literally my last <laughs> note. I said I had two notes left. The last one, bunk beds. Oh, high five. High five. Nice. <laughs> and they were so sheepish about bringing it up. Well, like, Doctor, we want a bone. Yeah. <laughs> Making it really difficult. <laughs> but it's got a ladder. <laughs> Can't top that. Mm-mm. Ratings? Let's. And now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Who wants to start? Not me. Not me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Oh, I don't know. So I really, really liked this episode, and I've barely written any notes just because I think I was enjoying it too much and (laughs) to bother writing anything down and um i feel like we've today we've kind of picked holes in stuff but i feel like that's what we do and i found it difficult to pick holes normally it's like that was shit and that was shit but no i really i really like the tardis i really like the amy and rory's bit there was some gentle comedy. There was some tears. The doctor was crying. He was all emotional at the end. It was very. Oh. It was very emotional, and I just think it was a very strong episode. And I'm going to give it like a four point three. Four point three. Yeah, why not? All right. No, no, no. It, no, no. <laughs> no judgment. No judgment. Leon, it sounds like you should explain yourself and go next, or we'll assume you're judging. <laughs> I sort of assume he is anyway. <laughs> I agree. I think this is a strong episode. I don't think it's as strong an episode as I thought it was going to be, mm. or as as I thought I remembered it being, uh, when we saw next week on Doctor Who, The Doctor's Wife. Mm. So in that regard, I was a little disappointed when I first watched this, as I rewatched this last night. And last night, I gave this a 2.5. <gasps> wow! What? Yeah. Oh, now we're judging you. Are you kidding? <laughs> Which Miriam also gave it, 2.5. Oh, my gosh. Um, Amazing. You know how we sit down and we tear an episode to bits and we have a good laugh and a bunch of drinks and uh, we go, at least I occasionally go, mm, I started at like a 3.8, but now I've kind of talked myself down. <laughs> and all of a sudden it's like a 2.1. You know what? We've torn so many holes in this episode that I've talked myself up. You guys have talked me <laughs> up. This episode deserves so much more than a 2.5, but it doesn't quite deserve a 4.3 for me. Uh, I'm giving this a 3.3. And the only reasons I'm deducting points. I mean, I think it's I think it's wonderful to finally be in a. I, I love the sci-fi episodes as as opposed to the the historicals or the pseudo historicals. Mm. Uh, I love those as well, but I, I prefer the sci-fi ones. But then occasionally, so incredibly seldom, do we get these extra sci-fi episodes, extras like outside of sci-fi, on top of sci-fi, mm. these like weird mental episodes, psychological episodes. This is one of them. For the same reasons that we, we, I think we all loved Amy's choice, right? Mm. So like, this has that extra quality, and it feels so Neil Gaiman-y, and it's mm. great. But I'm only discounting points for an incredibly abrupt ending. Maybe uh, a an not entirely well-explored relationship with the TARDIS as a, finally a communicative entity. Would have seen, liked to have seen maybe a little bit more there. And, well, all the other bits that we just kind of tore down. Mm. Yeah, I'm giving this a 3.3. Mm. Right? Drew? 
I was going to say, it's nice to be able to criticise an episode for being too short. Yeah, Rather than too long. You say it's abrupt. It is abrupt. The ood is underused. But really, we just want more of everything. Yeah. We want explanation and exposition. Yes. Those are about the only things for me that it lacked. It had all the elements. It just needed to give it more time. And that's just a constraint of the format, Mm. unfortunately. And I know... But would you have liked to have seen a double episode of this? Quite possibly. Oh, okay. Perhaps with the backstory we've now invented for us. (laughs) (laughs) And a bit more of Idris. And, you know, that's a good two-thirds of the first episode. And then the Doctor and Amy... I mean, you obviously need to introduce them earlier than that. And You're so right. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, now that we are writing a script... Dropping this summer, podcast land. Yeah. <laughs> just you wait. Yeah, just happening. you wait. Just you wait. It's actually going to happen. <laughs> it's it, almost done. It yeah. really is instructive then to read about the trials Neil Gaiman had with this, about how he had all these ideas and bit by bit, everything got cut. We are doing an audiobook and we can choose the number of episodes. And if people don't listen, it's fine because there's nothing riding on it. But this guy has to write to an exact length in a particular place within a series for millions of people and there are so many factors that dictate what he has to do except he didn't i'm sorry to cut you off no i mean yeah he did have to write a specific part in the series but then he ended up writing for a completely different part in the series and yeah but what i mean is they had to write rory back in and they had to oh, shape it mm, in yeah. that way and, where they oh, yeah, put it. and he couldn't just true. put every scene in that he wanted he must have been heartbroken and he said in his blog oh, it was sure, like yeah. being kicked in the balls by santa claus oh. <laughs> is that what he says well he credits paul cornell our old mate from family of blood with coming up with that but yes <laughs> that's a good line <laughs> yeah that's a really good line so i get it i feel for him maybe maybe i'm being biased now i'm trying to be a doctor who writer in in the most tangential marginal sense myself i would be happy just to watch this all over again almost instantly i think that's a mark of its quality yeah there were some lovely images and ideas i'd like it more than a serviceable moff episode we've had a lot of three point something moff episodes which i don't look back on with much fondness Mm. but this one is above that it's not quite a perfect shining nugget like blink but i think it is worth a 4.1 I do, I do. You made me really question my score, on, but um, <laughs> it does, it does stand off. This is one of the few that I remember and like name. If people say what are really great episodes, this is one that I think about. Um, and uh, yeah, we didn't really sort of talk, we talked about the set looking really good, but I think there was some also some really interesting camera work and the like. There was a nice um, scene when they were in the TARDIS, and he's you're looking at Matt Smith, but you're seeing um, Idris in the mirror in the same shot. And it's oh. like, there's some really kind of... The, the, actually, you know what? There are lots of beautiful things. Yeah. The, the, when they're flying around in the just the console, yeah. not the TARDIS, that's be- absolutely it's gorgeous. It's really beautifully shot, I think, yeah. And the weird cage that she's in for a bit in the beginning. Mm. and oh, Actually, yeah, it's a beautiful episode. Yeah. I, I I am I am already regretting three point three. I'm not going to change it because I, I don't want to be that guy. But yeah, no. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you're onto something with the like, more episodes of this. Maybe maybe yeah. make this a double episode. Maybe make this a triple episode. <laughs> the whole <Maybe>. series <laughs> with the t- with the TARDIS as the companion. 
Yeah, actually, wouldn't that be super interesting? Have the TARDIS ride around in the TARDIS? <laughs> Would she be constrained to the TARDIS? Or could no, she, walk she wasn't. Here? She wasn't in no, this one. No, she wasn't. She, yeah. yeah, you could. Oh, that would be great. Mm. I want up. I will really want up my score. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry, Neil. Gaiman. Or at least write that series as a plan B. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. Okie dokie, we have oh, we have a whole bunch of listener minis. A it, fistful of minis. <laughs> for a fistful of minis more. Um, oh, that's the sequel, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, this first one comes from Thomas Meehan. Hello, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Thomas says, here we have a second TARDIS-centric episode after the Edge of Destruction discretion and before journey to the center of the tardis the doctor can finally talk to his sexy wife in person and we see the return of an ood love an ood the amy and rory slash house subplot is boring and drags on oh, what I it should it should have been fully about the tardis mm. we also get to see a previous console room which i was very happy about mm-hmm. and possibly one of my favorite console rooms oh Along with a new console designed by a Blue Peter winner. What? Wait, wait, wait. Which new console? We get to see a new console. Do we? I don't remember seeing a new t- new console. Is that the one the Doctor's sitting under at the end? Has he constructed a, <gasps> a new one? Ooh. I didn't even notice this. Oh my goodness, I didn't even notice this. Thomas Meehan, what is, what is going on? <laughs> you have to go back for a rewatch. Okay, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Carry on. Me? Yeah. Uh, Carry on, you. Okay, sorry. (laughs) Thomas goes on. Hint, which we all know and probably did at the time, the only water in the forest is the river, which alludes to melody. I mean, river! No, we didn't touch on that. No, we didn't. I meant to mention that. (laughs) That was a bit of a weird one. Well, the TARDIS whispering, forest, 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 at the end. And Rory going, what, forest? Oh, I missed that. Yeah, Rory is, is listening as Idris is dying, and he, and he says, Forest, what a random weird piece of shit to say as you're dying. What and sort then, of last word is that, Idris? And then, yeah, she, and then she does say, the only water in the forest is the river. That's that, I guess, but, but the forest last word thing we've, I've um, for, River has already died in the forest of the library. Oh. Oh. The so, only water in the forest is the river. I don't know, but... I don't oh, know, that's interesting. I don't know what it alludes to in, like, in terms of like future it's coming up it's coming up yeah, it's coming up okay. okay good all right thomas continues auntie and uncle are utterly boring and should have been cut from the script what? savage thomas very savage <laughs> um, <laughs> however thomas says he likes the doctor's wife saran jones is fantastic and matt smith is great i give it Boy, <laughs> despite all that stuff, that was utterly boring. It should have been cut. What are you scoring it out of, Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> Is it five out of ten? Does he mean 2.5? Two point, maybe you missed or something. You didn't watch this on a Monday. A point five, is it? Oh, it's got so bad. No, Thomas, that is awesome. <laughs> Actually, you know what? This is kind of how I feel about it as well. There's tons to complain about. But I also should have given it a higher score. Damn it. Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> Thomas, you're so awesome. You're underlying how unawesome my score was. I don't remember there being another console at all. I don't. But he does say, like, oh, well, we probably need to redo your bedroom. So maybe they've also redone the console. Yeah, maybe. It's just like it's oh. a whole new TARDIS. Maybe. Mm. Oh, I'm curious about next week's episode yeah. now. Uh, Thomas. Thank you very much. Awesome mini. Mm-hmm. Awesome stuff. Keep them coming. Next up, Trenton Bless. <laughs> <laughs> I 
fantastic voice. I think many people wished the TARDIS was a woman. I think it was a brilliant move to have this episode, and I, Trenton, really enjoyed it. <laughs> Neil Gaiman, writer of books such as Coraline, wrote this episode. Like Coraline, this episode is a little darker and plays around with so many cool ideas. A little darker? This episode is a horrifying side of mental illness. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than, you know, lovable fun side. If you've seen Coraline, trending goes on, then you'll get that the darker entity known as House is represented by this green light when he's transferred into the TARDIS. The other mother from Coraline has this bright world, but as the plot goes on, things become this sickly green colour as the web unwinds. The sickly green colour is also used in, like, other comic book stuff and... No, Disney! What, Maleficent? Maleficent, yeah. Ah. Like, all all Disney villains. Um, Ursula, she's surrounded by green. Got him! Get him! Yep. Pretty green <laughs> Great green. Well, green in general is sort of a medical... Yeah. It's very unnatural. Bacterial. Yeah. Sickly pallor. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Speaking of house, as Trenton was, he is voiced to perfection by Michael Sheen. I would compare his performance to Gabriel Wolfe's performance as the voice of the beast in The Impossible Planet, The Satan Pit, and even Sutek from Pyramids of Mars. Ah. Like Sutek, House is chilling and enjoys what he does. I think it was so wonderful. That scene between Amy and Rory continually being separated was really dark for this show. I mean, that bit still creeps me out to this day, just thinking about it. So unsettling. Probably the best thing about this episode is that the TARDIS is finally able to talk to the Doctor. The dynamic between the two is amazing, and it's almost like they are a married couple. I loved every second of it, and I really think, in the end, we knew a little bit more about the Doctor's relationship with the TARDIS. Overall, this was a wonderful episode and a highlight of Series 6 for me. While many of the episodes range from being mediocre to decent over the course of this series, I think this is the best of the bunch. For such a unique idea and perfect execution, this episode gets a... 4.2 out of 5. Oh, wow. So this is perfect and gets 4.2. And (laughs) Thomas hates most of it. (laughs) And gives it a (laughs) 5. And I loved it and gave it a 3.3. Oh, I hate myself so much. I'm so sorry, Podcast Land. I disappoint myself most It gets in your head and messes with your mind this episode. You cannot help but be affected by it and have a reaction to it. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was saying earlier about lots of above-average Moff episodes are just sort of like, yeah, that was a good one. And then you forget them all. But this one... This one sticks. It really, it does stick with Mm. you. Trenton, thank you so much for a fantastic epic mini. Uh, people who are not Trenton Bless, you can follow Trenton Bless on Twitter. He is at Trenton Bless. That is Bless with two S's. Who's next, Marie? Next up, we have Jim the Fish. Jim says, geez, where to start? <laughs> not here, Jim the Fish. <laughs> well, he knows. Who back when has the best duck pass? Yes! Uh, in brackets, see, Drew, it's not just punk and who likes it. Oh, yeah, Jim oh, the Fish, man, thank I, you very much. I really wish I'd uh, skimmed ahead before I just started blindly <laughs> reading that. Sorry, Drew. <laughs> but then Jim the Fish says, I'm probably in the minority here. I'm sure he means about Doc Pasts. <laughs> <laughs> or does he? First of all, he found the Amy and Rory subplot pretty boring. Mm. Interesting. Once, once Jim the Fish realised they were running through the TARDIS, he got excited to see more of it, but was pretty disappointed to see the same 20 feet of corridor endlessly repeated. I understand that there were budgetary constraints, but once it was clear that we weren't going to see any other rooms, I felt disappointed. That is true, actually. It's, um, it's not what I pictured the TARDIS to be, just endless corridors. It is maybe a little budgety. Yeah. Like, as in... 
been nice for them to go into at least a, an other room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've, they've got the wardrobe. Yeah. I mean, if House is wowed by corridors, and he mentions the corridors, he says, Ooh, I've got corridors. Rory should have said, Wait till you see the wardrobe, mate. It's <laughs> full of fancy garb mm. and garments and raiment. But it adds a little bit of claustrophobia to it as well, it as does. in the fact that we only get to see the one same corridor in turn. And I think, actually, I took it as like House is manipulating it, so it's like there it's like there's no other rooms. They yeah. are just running this endless corridor. There's no way to escape, so it's like they're rats in a maze. Oh, yeah. like in the Avengers film. Sorry, just me? Yeah. The Avengers <laughs> film? You mean that great film? <laughs> that, that wonderful that one film. film? No, I mean... Sean I mean, Connery as the bad guy? That's the one. Yeah, Uma Thurman. I can't remember who Who's uh, Mr... Who's who's the male lead? I can't remember. I forgot that I had to disambiguate. I forgot oh. that there was a frigging Marvel thing. <laughs> that, to me, will always be the Avengers. Oh. Uh, uh, English patient? Uh, Ralph Fiennes? Ray Fiennes, oh. yes. Oh, wow, slumming it. <laughs> <laughs> that film is fantastic. Mm. It made it onto How Did This Get Made? Of course it did. <laughs> but that had the same thing where Uma Thurman runs out one side of the set and comes back in the other. Oh, yeah. Like Matrix 2 or Matrix 3 or whichever one of those two it was. Yeah, but the Avengers got there first. That's <laughs> true. We were in the middle of a review. We were. Sorry, we were. Jim. He's like still mid-sentence. <laughs> As an aside, and given that the other control room was only shown in very dim green light, would it really have cost that much to do an approximation of a different control room? The wood-panelled secondary control room from the Tom Baker era seems like it would have been easy enough to do. But we did get a second control room, apparently. Uh, we did, yeah. Which, which, which all of us missed. One. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was in such dim green lighting that we just didn't tell. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. You're in good company, Jim. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how the Blue Peter contestant designed it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you win a competition. He just draw had... the cheapest thing all yeah. in green. <laughs> you only had green crayons. Green. green paper. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Jim the Fish continues... But the thing that really bothered me was the personification of the TARDIS. To me, it was like the midichlorians and the phantom menace, a way to con- concretely quantify something mystical that doesn't need to be quantified in concrete terms. Or, to quote my roommate, that making subtext into text is often a mistake. Mm. Mm. Controversial. Why controversial. Are you heading here, Jim? <laughs> Jim liked last week's better, despite recycling for the third time the idea of a machine that blindly heals those who don't want to be healed. Oh, oh, okay. But never mind, it takes all sorts, and it seems that this episode made a lot of people slash co-hosts happy. (laughs) Oh my god, they killed Rory, you bastards. I'm actually waiting for Rory to come out in an orange hoodie at some point. (laughs) (laughs) And Jim the Fish concludes, I'll be generous and give it a very meh 1.1 out of 5. Oh, Jim. Oh, Jim. Uh, You know what? At least I didn't give it the lowest score. Okay. No, very clearly, this is a polarizing episode, yeah. and I absolutely see where Jim the Fish is coming from. Like, there, there are there are certain things that can be considered holy to to fans, and you know, untouchable. And mm. maybe the TARDIS is one such thing. Yeah, maybe the TARDIS shouldn't have an ample cleavage. Yeah, mm. you know what? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> which is to say, nothing about the the actress, but. Oh, I'm not going to talk about dressing women appropriately. That someone else can take that one. Off. <laughs> 
Jim the Fish, thank you so much. Fantastic, fantastic, and and thank you for broadening the the scope of uh, listener rating them. Does that work? That works. Yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. Next up, we have Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill. Star Wars Sill. Star Wars. Just me, Star Wars Sill. Uh, this episode is long <laughs> enough already. Star Wars Sill feels rather torn about this episode. On the one hand, Star Wars Sill absolutely loves the premise of the TARDIS taking on a human form. So completely opposite to Jim the Fish. On the other hand, Star Wars Sill is royally squicked by the stitched together people, even the third time watching it. <laughs> that final scene where the TARDIS kicks House's ass, Star Wars Sill continues, loved that bit so much. And I really enjoy how she has archives of the things the Doctor hasn't done yet. Hmm. And how she calls him her thief. Yeah, I enjoyed Aww, that bit. That, that was, was really nice. sweet, actually. Yeah. Very sweet. Yeah. Star Wars still continues, I'm a bit puzzled about the Ood. For all the Doctor's cheeriness of, uh, over how wonderful the Ood are, the only times I can recall an Ood being on screen is when one is going berserk and trying to kill people. And the Doctor seems surprised every time. Where are the really awesome Ood? Granted, I haven't seen every episode of New Who, so perhaps I just missed the ones where we actually see these oodles of wonderful Ood. <laughs> also, each time he says it, my brain has to go, oh right, not a quarren. Because we have people who look like that in Star Wars. Oh, they just don't have glowing balls. (laughs) 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 And then he adds, (laughs) (laughs) Star Wars still adds, stop giggling this instant. (laughs) Star Wars still ends 2.0 because I really, really didn't enjoy the patchwork people. Ah. Thanks so much, Star Wars still. Star Wars Sill, adding the only water in the forest is the river. Oh, the mystery Cryptic. continues. I know. Would you happen to not be Star Wars Sill? Fret not, you can follow Star Wars Sill on Twitter. Star Wars Sill is at, you guessed it, Star Wars Sill. Thank you, Star Wars Sill. Next up, we have Kyle Rath. Hello, Kyle. Hello, Kyle. Hi, Kyle. <laughs> Kyle begins. Hello, all. Wow. Nice. Sounds like he's here. Yeah. <laughs> so, Kyle begins. You've likely been asking yourselves, Selves, where's that literary rapscallion Kyle J. Rath, a.k.a. the sinister super spy, been, lo, these last few New Who reviews? Well, to put it mildly, nowhere special. Just, you know, generally sort of around. So dry those tears, Drew. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's time for another mediocre mini. Yes! (laughs) That's how I like it. (laughs) So, Kyle Rath goes on, the Doctor has a wife. She is the TARDIS, and she looks a lot like Suran Jones. A lot! Michael Sheen puts on his best villain voice, one leg at a time, and Rory and Amy go along for the ride. Again. Kyle actually really likes this first Neil Gaiman offering in the universe. It's a cool concept that is fairly well executed, and aside from the blatant ood-centric bigotry that permeates Doctor Who, it's a thoroughly enjoyable romp that adds a new layer to the backstory of Time Lords in general. Some nice callbacks, excellent performances from Smith and Jones, and an interesting visual landscape for the background. And Kyle gives this... Four point two out of five. Love that rating. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag Ood Lives Matter. Hashtag Drew loves me. <laughs> Love you, Kyle. <laughs> Hashtag he really, really loves me. Really, really love you, Kyle. <laughs> Hashtag pound sign. <laughs> <laughs> 
They sent him one Twitter message saying, where are you, you lazy bum? <laughs> well, it worked. So well done. <laughs> Welcome back, Kyle. We really missed you. People who are not Kyle, you can follow Kyle online. He is at Sinister Super Spy. That's super without any vowels. I really regret my 3.3. Oh. <laughs> Move on, dude. Bing bong, Future Punk in here. We actually received two more listener minis, and I'm going to go ahead and uh, Future Punk them now. The first one comes from Tracy from America. Hello, Tracy. Tracy says, okay, let's jump into this classic. Idris has her soul and mind drained from her body by an uncaring aunt and uncle. We don't know it yet, but they are long-term abuse victims of the house and probably cannot be blamed for their actions and total lack of empathy. The shell of Idris is used as a receptacle for the TARDIS's soul. Enter Doc and Cole, who cannot recognize the TARDIS in this form. As Doc talks excitedly of encountering still-living Time Lords, Amy astutely guesses he is hoping for their forgiveness and he openly admits it. But she's forced too much honesty from him and he relegates her to the TARDIS. Only it turns out Doc has been played. There are no Time Lords, and Amy and Rory are in danger. Inside the TARDIS, Rory buys time by convincing House not to kill them quickly. House, however, uses that time to mess with their heads. Amy sees her guilt about Rory manifested as his love, turning to hatred as at the thought she hasn't suffered while he did. One can only imagine what Rory saw. Idris is the scene-stealer here, from her trouble with tenses to calling for my thief, to the constant references to things that have not yet happened. The lines are so rich with meaning and emotion trying desperately to express itself accurately through words. In the end, the Doctor is clever and defeats House and sexy the TARDIS fades away. Raising Crimson Eleven, delights Petricor. Okay, I think I probably agree with that rating. <laughs> uh, and that's a... That's pretty much this episode in a nutshell. Thank you very much for uh, sending that in, Tracy. Ladies and gents, you can follow Tracy on Twitter. She is at Yekatnyatnuf. That's Fountain Tracy backwards. Okie dokie. Next up, we have Michael Ridgeway. Hello, Michael. Michael says, I love the extreme diversity in the quality of Doctor Who episodes. We get Curse of the Black Spots alongside mini masterpieces. This is the case throughout Doctor Who's history, with the exception of the seventh Doctor's perfect episode-on-episode run. (laughs) Michael goes on, This episode is totes wonderful. A creepy TARDIS junkyard, one sick puppy baddie, game-changing Time Lord lore, and killer dialogue. I loved old Rory going Jack Nicholson shining on on Amy. Shinning. (laughs) Yeah, don't want to get sued. (laughs) On Amy. Notable also for a leak from the production team to Private Eye about cost-saving skimpiness by BBC execs. Apparently there was, a su- there was supposed to be a new monster, but an ood was dusted off to save cash. At least we got the best line. Another ood I failed to save. <laughs> yeah, that is a very good line. Uh, in summary, Michael says, this is a fine beefless pie. And he gives this 4.5 out of 5 disembodied Time Lords sewn together. Oh, I really regret my rating. That 3.3 will remain forever on the website, tarnishing my record. I'm so sorry, Podcastland. Uh, Michael, awesome, awesome, awesome mini. Thank you very much. Okie dokie. Let's get back to the show. Bing bong. Where will the podcast move on to next? Ooh, good question. What is the next episode called? The Rebel Flesh. Ooh. <laughs> Excellent. That's exactly what I remembered it being called. (laughs) (laughs) I also remember that being an interesting episode. I think it is. Yeah, I think it's quite quite clever. It's not a two-parter, is it? I don't think so. No. Is it? 
No, I don't know. No. Bing bong, me again. Yes, it is, in fact, a two-parter. The Rebel Flesh is part one, and part two is The Almost People. Bing bong. Maybe, it's maybe it is now. good enough that it feels like a two-parter. Oh, blurgy blurgy. Or maybe, maybe it re- it's feels overly long. Oh, no. I don't know. Are you it, saying it's actually a really terrible it episode? It could go either way. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Join us next time and find out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much, everyone who's listened and been a wonderful audience. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, classic Who, for everyone who uh, keeps writing in, Classic Who reviews will return at some point, but we don't exactly have an ETA for it, so don't worry about it. It'll happen. But Leon's intention is undimmed. <laughs> yeah, this is a completionist podcast. The, the, yeah. It's going to happen. Don't worry. Don't worry. One day. Yeah. Well, you can say hi to us in the meantime. Uh, Drew, you are on Twitter? Yeah, I'm still at Drew Backwern. Are you still? Yeah. Excellent. I'm not doing any rebranding <laughs> because it's excellent branding. It is excellent branding. <laughs> Marie, you're not on Twitter? Still. Still, you're still not on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I'm not rebranding either. At still not on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> but you can say hi to Marie by emailing whobackwhen at gmail.com and we will pass it along. You can follow me as well. I am uh, at Ponkin, still. You know how to spell that. Yeah, follow Leon at Ponkin. That's not confusing. <laughs> Damn it. Because you are rebranding. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. You have been absolutely wonderful. Until the next time, rock on and cha-chao. Bye-bye. Doodles. Kablamo. Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hooray. Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher, and head on over to our website, whobackwhen.com, where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives, and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters, and more, which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, ciao. Back when?